Uh, great to see you tonight. Um, if you're new to Second City, welcome. My name is Jez Deering, the pastor here at Second City, and I'm going to be unpacking uh, this passage. Now, uh, for, for those of us who've been here um, over these last season, we will, you will know that we've been in a series in Ephesians called Building a Community in Christ. And Paul basically has been explaining to the Ephesians, the Ephesian believers, um, something which I think they already knew. So I don't think it was new to them, but I think it was something that he wanted to remind them of as he sits in prison. He, he's writing to them, remind them, remind them of the good news of the, of the gospel. And his big overarching theme is really how all things and all people have been made new and united in Christ through faith. He talks about how that, that people have been given a new righteousness, a, a new identity in Christ, a new hope, a new love, a new power, a new character um, that God has been forming in them. But more than that, he's not just been forming them as individuals, but he's been forming them as a new people, a new society with new relationships. And chapters one to three talk basically like a, um, uh, a theology of um, that new relationship. And four and five just talk about how in those new relationships, in the new um, as this new people, they are to live in the world. And Paul now ends this letter, um, encouraging the, these believers to continue to stand firm as they advance the good news of the, the 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 kingdom of God, the good news of Christ in a hostile world. And uh, his final point is to, to basically say, hey, look, all this stuff that I've talked about, this is taking place in the context of war. This is not peacetime for us. Now, for us, uh, for them, they, they would have totally understood this. I mean, Paul is in, in jail. They are facing daily opposition. For us, it's maybe a little bit different. We maybe don't see the outworking of that war maybe in a, in a, in a way that really is so stark that, that, it, that we can't ignore it every day. But what Paul is saying is, look, we, we are these new people um, that God has created. Uh, we have got this glorious gospel, which you are partakers, and we are those who are to live it out. But the context which we're living it out is in the context of war. We have uh, an enemy. Now, any of us who've been a believer for any period of time will know that following Christ is not easy, that it is a battle. It's a battle of the heart. It's a battle of the head. It's a, the battle of our hands. It's a battle... Uh, with the world, it's a battle often internally with ourselves. And at times, uh, it's a battle with one another inside the church. And, and what are we fighting for? What does Paul want us to be fighting for? What He's really talked about some of these things already. He says he wants us to be fighting for unity within the body. He wants us to be fighting for our identity in Christ. He wants us to be fighting for victory over temptation. He wants us to be fighting for, God, uh, for freedom in the grace of God. He wants us to be fighting for daily satisfaction and joy in our salvation. He wants us to be fighting for the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel in our lives. He wants us to be fighting for the, to, for the truth that we know that we are truly loved by the, true, by, by, by the living God and that nothing can separate us from him. He wants us to be settled in our relationships with God and with one another. Well, how are we to fight? Well, in some ways, again, this passage is really a summary of some of the stuff that he's already talking about. We fight with none other than the Christ-like virtues that we've received in Christ. He's already mentioned them in this letter, 
He wants us to, to fight with truth, with righteousness, with peace, with the gospel itself, with the word of God, scripture, with salvation and with faith. So what better way for Paul than to finish by giving them some instructions about how to now live this life together, how they are to live this life standing firm as they move forward in, in advancement of the gospel in a hostile world. This would have been um, such an encouraging word that Paul was bringing them to, to them. I, I want to just bring out one thing straight away before we sort of get into sort of the uh, sort of um, some more um, detailed points. Um, notice in verse 10, it says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. And I want to highlight this because I think this is a regular failing of mine and maybe it's a failing of yours. But uh, Paul wants the, the Ephesians to know straight away that his prayer for aspirations for him is that they might be strong, but not in their own strength, but in the Lord and in his mind. Now, that's significant, isn't it? So how often do, do you, like myself, try to rely on our own strength? We try to walk in obedience to the commandments of God by our own strength. We, we try to fulfill the, the law and God's will, and it only leads to frustration and disappointment and shame and often guilt. Why? Because we know that we can't do it in our own strength. We try, and yet we fail. No, he wants us to see that we need to walk uh, that we are to, 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 to live the life, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord and his might. And we do that by putting on the armor of God, the, the armor that he is, has given us. And so we will see um, at the end of this, uh, uh, this passage, uh, Paul calling us to be devoted to prayer. And I think the first um, lesson that we can learn from God, uh, from this passage, about standing firm in a hostile world is really one of uh, bowing down before God and acknowledging before him that we can't do it. That we say, Father, we know that we cannot do this in our own strength. Father, we confess that there are times when we have done this and we know that this has not worked out, but we need your help. That Humble submission will lead us to a place where God is able to strengthen us. So often I wonder whether God, who is able to strengthen us, is unable to strengthen us because we resist his strengthening, his, his might. Why? Because we're too busy trying to live the Christian life, which is an extraordinary life, which is an amazing life in, 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 the, in, in our own fleshly powers. It was never meant to be lived this way. And Paul wants the Ephesians to see this. He wants us to see that we live it through faith in Christ, in trust in him, that we should enter, uh, we should enter each day in, in the posture of prayer and submission. So how might we therefore stand against the enemy's attack? How might we advance, how, how might we do this as we advance? the gospel in the midst of opposition. Well, the first thing that this passage teaches us is that we need to be aware of the battle. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul commands us to put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because we have an enemy and we have an adversary, the devil who wants the church to fail, who wants you to fail, who wants you to to. Uh, be to he wants to 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 rob you of the joy of your salvation and the effects of your salvation in your life and this is not merely a passive work but he's active it says that he's the devil's schemes scripture says that he schemes against us in one peter it talks about him stalking us in revelation 12 it talks about him deceiving us in 2 timothy 2 2 it talks about him ensnaring us and in 1 thessalonians 2 it talks about him hindering us 2 Thessalonians 12 talks about him harassing us. And in this passage, it talks about him attacking us with the fiery darts of temptation. His name displays his wickedness, his powerfulness, his cunning. And his strategy is to penetrate our defenses, to stop us advancing. In the passage, it describes him that his means of attack is to wrestle with us. This is a word that was commonly used for the ancient Greek sport of of wrestling, where two soldiers are matched against each other. It's a close and intimate contest where one is seeking to find the, the weakness of the other by grappling them and moving them and exploiting their weakness so they might defeat them, have victory over them. And the devil is just not firing uh, bullets um, randomly at everybody. No, he is upon us. He is close to us and he's seeking to uh, defeat us by wrestling us. And this battle is not just, um, uh, uh, this battle is not just merely in, in the, in the outworkings in, in this sort of physical realm. And many of you may experience this battle, um, in the flesh and the blood, but, but here Paul says, you know, our battle really isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the uh, principalities and powers. And what I think he means by that is whilst it is being, you know, maybe it's being played out in our relationships, it's being played out in our own life. The battle is really taking place in the spiritual realm. His point is that the root of all our temporal battles in life is the unseen great cosmic battle, which is taking place that If we don't take time to stop and reflect or take these words seriously, we might easily pass by and think that the way in which we deal with the battles or the struggles in our lives is through earthly means because the battle is in the temporal realm of of our lives. But notice also that this is a cosmic battle, which means it's not merely about us. Too often we see spiritual warfare as the individual believers call to put on the armor of God and to fight the demonic forces alone, as if it somehow is a test of our faith. But this is couldn't be further from the truth. The spiritual warfare is about God's people joining with their Lord in his warfare. Right back in before um, there was rebellion between a man and God, there was rebellion between Satan and God. And he seeks to enlist us in, uh, in our, um, he seeks to enlist us to join his side in fighting against God. But those of us who've put our trust in Christ, now we are on Christ's side and he is fighting with us. 
And Jesus is the one who equips us. Jesus is the one who empowers us to accompany him into enemy territory and to further his kingdom purposes. It is ultimately Jesus' battle. And what do we know about this battle is that Jesus has already defeated Satan. Jesus has won a decisive victory for eternity. And Paul doesn't tell us to win the battle or to win the victory, but to stand in the midst of the victory, to stand in the midst of the battle. The authority, the authority of the powers of darkness have been broken. Their defeat is final and soon to come. But Satan, like a defeated enemy, is mad about it. And just like in, in other historical battles, uh, the terms of peace have been rejected by Satan. He will not surrender. He seeks to go out into the battle and to inflict as much damage as he can against the church of Christ and in this world. And he has become even more vicious and more intense, knowing that his uh, his time is limited. So as we come, as we think about this battle that we're in, this is a battle of cosmic significance that we are part of. And we're not called to win it. Jesus already won it. But we are called to stand firm. To stand firm in the knowledge that Christ has won it. Yes, we are to fight with valor. We are to fight with confidence because the victory has been won. And our commander fights with us, Jesus, and fights for us. Maybe this is a wake-up call for us as Christians. I don't know about you. How often do we think about being in the battle? How much do we think about being this battle taking place in the spiritual realm? Life as a Christian is war. Life as a Christian is about uh, being in the battle. So first, we need to be aware of our enemy. Beware that we are in a battle. The second thing is that we need to be equipped with, the, with God's armor. Verses 11 uh, and 13 says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the enemy's schemes. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we're to put on the armor of God that we might stand. And there's a kind of defensiveness to it, to, to this kind of picture of being in the army. That as the arm, the, the, the battle lines are drawn, each member uh, in this battle stands shoulder to shoulder. And as the, the, the attack of the enemy comes against us, uh, it's like we are told, stand firm, don't lose any ground. As we march forward into battle, as the, the flaming arrows of the enemy come towards us, as, as the evil ones and his dominions seem to come with us and draw close to us. Let not the line be breached. Let's stand together as we um, 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 stand against his scheme to separate us, to, to break us up, to draw us out, to push us back. But there's also the offensiveness about this, about what we, is described here, that we're told to take up the sword of the spirit and to speak the gospel in the face of opposition as we advance. We stand firm together and we move forward into the enemy's territory, knowing that God is able to keep us. 
But this is no ordinary armor that we put on, for it is the armor of God. And I think what Paul is describing here is not a contemporary illustration of to explain spiritual warfare. He is really reminding the Ephesians of what the prophet Isaiah has has spoken about uh, as Jesus as the warrior king. Isaiah says that um, our spirit-filled savior girds himself with the bout of truth in Isaiah 11, one to five, that uh, God's people erupt with singing because the Lord is coming with the shoes to pronounce the gospel of peace in Isaiah 52. This savior is one who enters the evil darkness with the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation to deliver his people from oppression, Isaiah 59, 17. And the Lord's servant speaks words like a sharp, sharp sword, bringing salvation to the ends of the earth in Isaiah 49. So what we have here is this picture in Isaiah that Paul is alluding to that we are clothed not with um, armor that armor that is just for us, as in somehow that God made it up for us. No, this is the armor which has clothed Christ Himself. This is the armor of which He went into warfare with Satan with, and now that same armor is given to us that we now get to put on the armor that Jesus wore. So the same armor that the Messiah wore and defeated Satan is the same armor that he gives to us. This should give us confidence that we are clothed with gear. That should mean that we do not need to give an inch to Satan, that we are able to defend ourselves and have victory over him. But as we think about this armor of God, there's no picking and choosing. Oh, no, you, you put on the gospel. You put the shoes of the gospel of peace on and I'll put the, the, the righteousness on. No, you put salvation on and I'll take the sword of the spirit. No, it's one and all. There's no matching and mixing. No, we require all of it. This spiritual armor is, needs to be put on by faith daily so that we might defend ourselves. Well, what, what is this armor that he asks us to put on? Well, it is the bout of truth. Stand firm, having fastened on the bout of truth. Satan labors to make you a liar like himself. But we put on the Lord's bout of truth by putting away falsehood, as we've read in Ephesians, by speaking the truth to one another in Ephesians chapter 4. We do not uh, hatefully deceive, deceive like the devil, but we speak the truth in love. We do not cover our sins, um, but we confess our sins. We proclaim the truth over our sins. We do not slander, but we speak honest words. So putting on the bout of truth is an act of faith that resists the devil's temptation for us to, to lie. So when we speak false the devil makes us retreat from one another and from the Lord. But we put the bout of truth on to defend ourselves. Secondly, we put on the, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Both of these talk about a righteousness. The helmet of salvation is really the righteousness that is imputed to us, that's given to us 
through Christ. And the breastplate of righteousness is that practical righteousness that we live out. And Satan wants you to join him in rebelling against God. He wants you to resist putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation every day. He, he wants you to keep on your old self and not put on your new self. But we're called to throw away the old self and put on the new self, which is Christ's clothes, in true righteousness. And so we stand as Christians confident in Christ that he loves us because he has saved us, that he's given us a righteousness that, that, that is not our own. And so we stand not in worldly identity, but the identity as sons and daughters of the true and living God. And then we step out um, courageously in Christ-like practical righteousness as we follow worldly, uh, the, the, follow the, 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 um, follow the, the ways of God. And we resist, as we've seen in Ephesians 5, spiritual immorality. We resist crude talking and, uh, sorry, uh, uh, corrupting talk and crude joking. And instead, we speak the truth in words that build up the church. We reject being drunk with wine and worldly indulgences. And instead, we are drunk with the spirit that empowers us to serve sacrificially other people in our relationships. The great thing is that when we put that helmet of salvation on, we know that it can never be taken away. You know, the enemy wants to say to you, you know, your salvation, you know, you can, you can lose it. It can be taken away from you. Maybe, you know, you, your, your sin has so shamed Jesus that he's rejecting you. What an utter lie. No. What he's given to you has been bought with the price, with his death and resurrection on the cross. And he gives it to you as a free gift of his grace. Don't let the enemy try and rob you of your salvation. And then we're told to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. And as for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, Satan hates the good news of the gospel that Jesus died to bring forgiveness and the spilling of his blood has purchased that freely. It is given to all who believe. He hates when sinners are reconciled to God. He hates it when we love one another. He wants to hinder our evangelism amongst unbelievers and he strives to, to bring up division amongst those who already hears. The gospel of peace brings uh, sinners to Christ and the gospel of peace brings sinful saints together in unity. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Christ. And so we put on, we lace up the shoes of the gospel with this beautiful gospel of peace. And we sow the gospel seed with great confidence, not being ashamed of the gospel, but by, by being um, you know, excited and, and full of joy with the truth of the gospel. It leads us to be able to bear with one another in love and to maintain the bond of the spirit of peace. So we're to preach the gospel to ourselves. We're to preach the gospel readily to one another. We are to preach the gospel to the lost. Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. And the enemy is not able to stand or withstand 
the power of the gospel. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel, but let us freely with boldness and with confidence and with readiness and with eagerness share the gospel that brings peace to people's lives. Then we're told to put on the shield of faith. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You know, this this. This, this shield that is, uh, the word that's used for shield here is not a small shield, you know, that you just put around your arm, uh, like that picture there. It actually has the reference of something that protects the whole body that you get under and will protect you and, and no darts can get you because it covers your whole body. And Satan wants to stoke up fear in our hope that we will retreat. He likes to throw uh, his fiery um, dart us, temptation, lies. Uh, he wants us to, he wants to threaten us with social rejection, with persecution, with pain, and with death itself. But rather than retreat, we can just get right under the shield. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God is described as the shield of his people. And now Christ himself is our shield. And so we're to draw up under Christ who takes the fiery darts and is able to deflect them and defeat them. And we come under him knowing that he is able to protect us. In Revelation, Jesus writes to the persecuted church in Smyrna. And he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We do not fear those who kill the body, um, but cannot kill the soul, Matthew 10. And so let's encourage ourselves that Christ is our shield. Whenever the lies and temptation come our way, we can just crouch up under Christ and ask him, protect us, Jesus, protect us from these lies, protect us from the enemy's scheme. And then finally, we have the sword of the spirit. Again, Satan likes to seduce us and to accuse us with his lies, but we take up the sword of the spirit and we strike down his lofty arguments. Like Jesus, when he was tempted, we have the word of God and we're able to speak the truth to Satan to defeat him so that his lies fall apart before us. And when we believe in the promises of God and all the things that he's uh, has spoken that's true over us, again, we're able to defend ourselves about from Satan trying to, to lead our minds and our hearts astray. The sword of the Spirit is powerful. We're told that that the sword of the spirit is a double-edged sword, able to cut to the marrow and to, to the bone. That means that he's able to, to speak words that get right to the heart of things, that penetrate the reality of things. So when we feel threatened by Satan's request, we pray and we ask the Lord to help us to stand up under 
all that he has done. Now, this picture of the armor reminds me of the story of David putting on the the uh, the King Saul's armor, and um, it it didn't fit, did it? And the reason it didn't fit was because it was a man's armor, and David realized that he didn't need the man's armor at all. In fact, he knew that the Lord himself would protect him as he went into battle, that it would be through the Lord that he would win the battle. And sometimes I think I'm a bit like uh, Saul, um, uh, having the, the mind of Saul, where I think, well, what things do I need to put on that can, you know, can practically help me? Um, and I, I end up sort of putting my trust in my own flesh or in, 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 in the armor or, or the wisdom that I have in myself. But, 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 but I want it to be more like David. I want us to be more like David, where we just recognize, you know what? I need to clothe myself with Christ. And, and the amazing thing here is really that all these things that we've described, you know, the, the belt of truth, these are all things that Jesus is. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the, 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 the piece of the gospel. Jesus is the, the word of God. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our righteousness. So when we talk about putting on the armor of God, what we are doing is really clothing ourselves with Christ. It's the same thing. And so let me encourage you to clothe yourself in the righteousness of Christ. And then just one final thing to, to go, because there are times on there where in our lives, it's not easy to follow Jesus. And there are times where our knees are knocking and our hearts are failing. Um, and so Paul has one final thought for us in this passage, and that is to be devoted to prayer. He wants us to stand firm in prayer for ourselves and for one another. Prayer is not given here an item of armor. And I think it's really because prayer is, is something that really uh, enables us to, to stand firm and to call for backup in the midst of, of the fight. Piper says this about prayer in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, we cannot know what prayer is until we know that life is war. Life is war. It is not all, all it is, but it is certainly that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances into the world. It's in this passage, Paul gives us four alls in the context of this prayer. He says that we should pray at all times. That means everywhere and anywhere. That prayer, it should be something that is a daily, uh, uh, a moment by moment part of our life. That whenever we find ourselves in need for help, we call out in prayer. And we are to pray in all prayers and all supplications that with faithfulness in every request, we 
we just ask God for everything that we need, uh, whether it's a prayer of strength, whether it's a prayer of uh, uh, for, for for someone else, whether it's a prayer of strengthening, uh, where it's a prayer um, for 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 healing. In all types of prayer, in all types of supplications, we are to bring our requests to God. And then in all perseverance, like a good soldier, we keep alert. We see the need for our resources and we persist in prayer, even when it seems like the message is not getting through to headquarters. When we feel fatigued or disappointed or discouraged, we keep on praying, knowing that he is able to answer us. And then we pray for all the saints. We pray for each other and for others that we know who love Jesus, who are in the midst of this battle, this fight. Um, and we stand shoulder to shoulder and we bear one another's burdens and we, we bring them to the Lord in prayer. And we pray like Jesus prayed for Peter. He said, you know, I, I pray for, for you because, you know, Satan has wanted to sift you. And so if Jesus needed to pray for, for uh, or, or, or felt that prayer was the most effective thing that he could do for Peter, then so we too should see prayer as the most effective way that we can encourage and support one another as we daily seek to follow him. And then finally, in verse 19 and 20, we get an insight into Paul's need for prayer and his reliance on prayer. Verse 19, he says, and also for me that the words may be given to me to open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel for which I am ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul invites them, pray for me as I wear the, um, the footwear of the gospel of peace, as I proclaim the gospel. You know that I'm in chains. You know that there may be consequences to me speaking out even more than being in chains. Maybe it might lead to my death, but I pray that you would help me, that you'd pray for me to help me speak out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will listen. If the great Paul recognized his need to prayer, then we must recognize our need for prayer in the midst of battle. So let us pray for one another to sh that we might share the gospel. We've got this great opportunity for us together to be focused in these next few weeks um, on in, in, in sharing the gospel. And evangelism is, is part of spiritual warfare. We're proclaiming the, the good news of Jesus Christ and our culture opposes it and may even wish that we were not to speak the truth. And yet it is something that God wants us to do. So, God has called us as a people to be part, uh, people who are part of his family, to stand firm against the enemy's attack. He wants us to join him as he, we advance the gospel into the world, as we bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's a battle and it's not easy. And our enemy is seeking to attack us, both as individuals and also as a church. And we need to daily put on this armor through faith. We need to trust in all the things that Christ has done for us and stand in his righteousness, stand in our salvation. 
we should not fight in our own strength, but we need to come up under his uh, under his strength. We need to trust in his word. And when we feel tired and when we feel wounded and when we feel broken where the enemy, it feels like the enemy has got through our own defenses. Um, let the Lord strengthen you. Let the Lord keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Let us not lose heart in this battle, but rather let us cry out to our God, our great saviour, the one who leaves no fellow soldier behind. We're told that he's able to put us over his shoulder and to take us to green pastures by still waters and restore our soul. In him, we have great strength because he will heal us and bound us up so we may be able to go back into the battle. And we know that Satan will not be able to defeat us. What a great way for Paul to end this letter to the Ephesians, that they have been given all they need in Christ to stand firm by the mighty power of God.